Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wilcox, Communications Generalist here at U of M Extension. This episode is our 2023 AFREC Research Roundup. We have four panelists here with us today. Can you each give us a quick introduction? This is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist with the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm located on the St. Paul campus. This is Jeff Vetch. I'm a researcher. I uh, study nutrient management at the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca. I'm Lindsay Pease. I'm an assistant professor and extension specialist in nutrient and water management, and I'm at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center in Crookston. And I am Fabian Fernandez, uh, also a nutrient management specialist with research and extension responsibilities at the St. Paul campus. What is AFREC, and how does it help you conduct your research? Well, AFRIC is the Minnesota Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council. Um, I don't know, can't remember exactly the year, but it was back about when I started in around 2008, AFRIC was formed, which essentially is funded based on fees um, for tonnage of fertilizer sold that was put into a pot um, to put forth um, competitive grant in just some baseline soil fertility research. And that's one of the things if you look at around the country for research for just doing work related to fertilizer guidelines is that the, the pool of money really isn't that large. If you look at federal grants, federal grants typically won't go after uh, projects that are just real applied projects that funnel into some of our fertilizer guidelines. And that's kind of when we start looking at, for somebody like me, that my whole position here really is based on um, evaluating fertilizer guidelines. This um, money has been invaluable, at least to get some baseline research in place to look at evaluating the guidelines. And that's one of the things a lot of growers are always interested in as yields continue to creep up, how our fertilizer guidelines perform? Do we need to be looking at increasing fertilizer rates? So having a, a pool of money that we can access for long-term projects specifically is really um, critical for some of this because a lot of the work that I do doesn't necessarily focus on a single crop. It looks at um, fertilizer applications within rotations. So that's been one of the key um, benefits of having this program around is being able to look at things over a longer period of time and, and getting to some real applied research questions that growers are asking um, on a year-to-year -year basis. As a uh, researcher at one of the ROCs, um, it's it's really great because it's very applied and it allows you to do some reactive type things that are, that are on hot button items that people give you questions about all the time. But also, as Dan said, some of those long-term proactive projects are also fit into that, uh, into this system very well. And, and I think that the council, the people that oversee the grant process recognize that and value that. One of the other interesting things about Africa and what, what uh, allows us to do uh, with research is, as Dan mentioned, a lot of the federal grants that um, are not so much focused on very applied questions that we need the answers for before we can actually go into those bigger pots of money that the federal grants typically try to target. It's actually kind of interesting. I have been in in federal grants and in reviewing federal grant applications, and you will see in these applications where they may say, we are going to test X, Y, or Z, and one of those variables is the university guidelines. 
or we will use um, these treatments and apply university guidelines for the crops that we are growing or things like that. And it is almost a, a given that, well, those things are there in place, but the reality of it is that the only reason those um, guidelines from the university are in place is because um, of this money that we have through through Africa funding to be able to do the uh, ground ground uh, background work to have that information. And so, uh, and, and then the other part is um, often uh, federal grants, for instance, they will be kind of short in time, which doesn't really allow you to, to do a lot of the things that sometimes is required. As Dan mentioned, one of the benefits of Africa is that it allows us to look at things uh, with longer term, and and that's one one of the benefits also of having these these kinds of funding is that as you start these projects long term, then um, federal grants typically tend to be focused on on answering one specific question, but you can only answer that question if you have a system in place that has been there for quite a long time in order to answer those questions, and without that long-term background you cannot really get to those those questions that many bigger grants are interested in so it really uh is extremely beneficial to to answer the day-to-day -day questions like jeff was talking about uh but it's also really important to lay the the background work that is needed to then be able to find more in-depth answers to to some of the scientific questions that are out there what I really think is cool about AFREC is that, you know, that's the money that a council, uh, the Council AFREC Council, they um, have us go through this review process and we really look at how we can reinvest those dollars and thinking about how we can help make um, the fertilizer applications and the fertilizer purchases that farmers are making um, really a good return on investment. So, so really we're looking at making fertilizer application more efficient. Um, and this council is made up of groups from representatives from all across the industries, from the different commodity groups and from the state government. So it's a really great way to come together and to make sure that we're putting our dollars in the right place um, in terms of our ag industry. What AFREC funded projects are you all currently working on? And are there any interesting findings from the 2023 growing season? A lot of the work I've been doing with the council has been focused on sulfur. There's been a lot of interest from a lot of the members on the, the council looking at various aspects of sulfur fertilization. And that's been one of the, if you look at some of the early work we did with Africa was looking at sulfur and it had identified some areas that growers were likely under applying, which it's it's kind of one of the, the real the big focuses of some of this stuff. While there is money feeding in from what the growers are paying tonnage wise to the program, I mean, the end result hopefully is some you know, some data that they can at least increase profitability where that would more than pay for some of what that investment in fertilizer is. So sulfur has been the main one that I've been looking at. And a lot of the focus of my work has been looking at in rotations. Um, and again, looking at long term over time, because we uh, know that sulfur can leach. It's just not as leachable as nitrate. And there are multi-year benefits. And that's some of the things we're starting to see with some of the projects. So that's kind of one of the larger areas that I've been working on with AFRIC. Um, one of the other areas has been looking at potassium. I'm looking at refining our guidelines for both corn and soybean production. Um, the key component I'm looking at right now are timing, looking at fall and spring application. We did this with phosphorus for a few years, looking at the overall efficiency, um, you know, and looking at 
phosphorus seeing more differences in fall versus spring application. That's one thing that we did come up with, particularly for corn, that growers that have a low phosphorus soil test or high pH soils that seem like spring application was a definite yield advantage. But potassium, we're not seeing all that much. But again, a lot of the things that I do may have some questions that we get from growers like that with that timing component, but we can implement some rates within that timing of some of the, the treatments to try to get some multi-benefits out of it. So some of this data that we can you look at, at least from the rate side, um, looking at evaluating some of our current recommendations. So so that's my main, um, this last year, I mean, potassium, it's been one of the things I've been telling a lot of growers is don't forget about it, these dry years. And we've been seeing it the last few years with some of the research of having it in place, um, especially last year, more consistent responses in my corn site sites and my soybean sites, but with dry weather conditions, seeing some lowering soil tests. So that's been one of the, I think the main interesting thing on my side, the sulfur data, um, where at least one of the trials starting to answer some questions on some of the different sources that are out there. I'm, I'm probably not going to get too much into that here, but um, check, just if you haven't um, subscribed to Minnesota Crop News, um, we'll likely have some updates of that kind of coming forward. And I'll be talking about some of that data at our upcoming um nutrient management conference. So just, but just some interesting things on that end to start addressing some questions that I've had in terms of what, what some of the optimal rates are. So having these dry years and hopefully get into some more normal years, um, at least with rainfall, does see some different things in, in both of those. And that's kind of why it's nice having the, the funding that goes across years where we can, you know, maybe hopefully catch some of these differences that we'd see with some different environmental conditions. I'm a co-PI or a collaborator on several uh, AFREC projects. Uh, in 2023, I was a PI on one study, and it was looking at the current uh, to measure the effects of cover crops and nitrogen rates on corn production, nitrogen loss and tile drainage, and soil health parameters in corn grain and corn silage cropping systems. Interesting facts or findings from this study, we didn't have great uh, cover crop establishment and growth in the fall of 2022 going into the 2023 growing season. This was partly due to just very minimal rainfall, less than a half an inch total in the six weeks after we seeded the cover crops. From a tile drain standpoint, most of the 12 inches of tile drainage we received in 2023 came in late March, April, and May. We had a large rainfall event, about six inches here in South Central Minnesota in a week time in early May, and that drove a lot of our drainage. In April, nitrate concentrations in tile drainage averaged about nine part per million in corn silage systems and about seven and a half in corn grain systems. And these values were pretty low compared to what we typically see for corn, continuous corn. But in May, the nitrate concentrations increased to 13.4 part per million in corn silage, but we're still only about eight part per million in corn grain. And this is interesting because only about 20 pounds of the yen was applied uh, in that cropping season in the month of May because the planting was delayed to May 22nd. So all that other end that was coming out of those tile drains was probably either a little bit left over from the previous year or mineralized from the spring in that corn silage system. And that's where we saw the bump in, in nitrate concentrations. I have three different AFREC projects for 2023. And the first one to build on Jeff's answer, you know, he was just talking about tile drainage. And one of my projects is also about subsurface tile drainage. And what specifically we're looking at as part of the AFREC funded 
portion of this project is how the installation of a new drainage system, which we did in 2019, how that may or may not change the fertility recommendations. And of course, with the sort of three drier years that we've had, we haven't seen a lot of water moving through those drain tiles, as you can imagine. But I do think we are starting to see, you know, some of those, those nutrient losses in tile drainage systems. It's not fertilizer in, fertilizer out the same year. A lot of the times that nitrogen is getting tied up, it's getting uh, cycled into the system. And, you know, so we saw we can still see nitrate losses even in a soybean year where we haven't applied any extra nitrogen. But I do think the main message that we've seen is that we do not need to revise our fertility for uh, tile drainage systems after the installation, at least not immediately. The second project I'm working on is kind of along those similar lines. When you add a big change to your system, how does that end up, um, how do you need to incorporate that change into your fertility systems? And we are looking at strip tilling and adding cover crops into a sugar beet system, which sugar beet systems usually have a lot of tillage involved. And so there's not a lot of crop residue that's left in those sugar beet systems. So when you're adding this source of carbon in the crop residue, I'm really interested in looking at then how that affects how much nitrogen is available and the, the timing of that. Now, one thing I will say is that just after one year of data, we, we don't have really conclusive results yet, but I am seeing some effect of higher amounts of residue tying up some of the nitrogen and not translating into sugar yield at the end of the year, which of course is not great news for the beet growers. But what I do think uh, we can learn a lot from, and we did learn a lot from this year, is that that residue management, managing those cover crops early, terminating them before they get out of control. We had a little bit of uh, growth out of control this year, which I think contributed to that. So, um, so I'm really looking forward to continuing that um, hopefully next year and um, getting some more conclusive answers on, on, you know, we need this nitrogen available at this time. Uh, the third project that I am working on is actually kind of completely different from the others. This one is looking at revising fertility guidelines for the cultivated wild rice uh, growers in Minnesota. This is a group that is mostly centered in north central Minnesota, so a little bit outside of my regular northwest Minnesota territory, but still in the northern part of Minnesota. And something that's really interesting about these systems is that you're actually farming them underwater most of the time. And so the implications on how you apply a fertilizer in that system um, makes it a really interesting question to look at and you know how we make sure that those uh, fertilizer applications are efficient, and then also not getting released back into the environment. I was thinking about Africa and the significance of Africa, and I thought in order to answer some of these questions, it would be, I think, helpful to, to have a little bit of a history lesson here. You know, the, the Moral Act of 1862, when Abraham Lincoln was the president, that's what established the land-grant universities. They were tasked with the importance of teaching classes in agriculture and military science and engineering primarily. But then um, it didn't take very long for people to realize that, okay, now we have a university, we are teaching great classes, we are doing a lot of great research, but the end users are not being told about this research and these findings. And, and so what Africa allows us to do as a land-grant university is to do research, locally, and then be able to um, to extend that knowledge to the people that will use it. And so 
I have research uh, across the state. Um, that's one of the, the wonderful things of Africa is that it funds research that covers the geography of the state. I established a study back in 2019. This is a long-term study where we are looking simply at nitrogen rate um, and trying to understand the impact of nitrogen rate from year to year. If you apply the same amount of nitrogen, whether it is a suboptimal rate, an optimal or above optimum rate, what happens to crop production? What happens to soil nitrogen and the ability of the soil to produce crops? As I was mentioning at the beginning, these long-term projects are extremely important because nobody is really interested kind of the big grants that we normally talk about. Nobody is really interested in funding this kind of um, background work. Once those plots are established and are established for the long-term, they allow us to answer really important questions that you just you cannot answer by just simply going to a field and taking some samples. You need to have those those treatments in place for quite a long time to develop those conditions. We um, we also have uh, projects looking at the effect of nitrogen timing and source and placement actually um, under different tillage conditions and soil drainage conditions. All of my projects uh, that have be, are currently being funded or, or, or have been funded throughout Africa kind of look at those four variables of um, looking at the rate, the source, the timing, and the placement of nitrogen to improve the efficient use of these uh, fertilizers. Africa is also providing funds to support two conferences where a lot of the research that is being funded through Africa has an outlet so that crop consultants, farmers, the industry uh, has access to the latest information that is coming out of this project. The other really important part uh, that Africa has allowed me to do is to look specifically at environmental outcomes of what happens with nutrient management. I have been looking at uh, very intensively at nitrate leaching into both groundwater and surface waters that impact, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, impact uh, Lake Winnipeg to, to the north um, and lakes locally, as well as the groundwater. And then uh, emissions of nitrogen to the atmosphere as nitrous oxide or ammonia emissions that impact uh, global warming and um, things like that. So again, it's really um, kind of all-encompassing what Africa allows us to do uh, in the state of Minnesota. I have been in many other countries where this system is not in place, where there is no a vehicle to do the research, the teaching, and then extending that knowledge out to end users. And um, that void is definitely filled, but it's unfortunately filled by, by people that have kind of their own interests, their own agendas. And um, that benefit of the land grant having been a source of unbiased information doesn't exist. And and you can see some of the, the issues that that can create. And so having this funding, local funding through Africa, really, really helps us in, in many different ways, not only in just doing the research, but also in really improving the livelihood of everyone in Minnesota. Uh, everybody, what's been your favorite Africa research project and why? I think the ones that I like most are the ones that by the time you're done, it maybe gives you maybe some things that you hadn't thought about 
to use for future projects. The one I can think about is a project they started. It was back around 2010 or 2011 that we were looking at combinations of phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur and before corn and how that affected the corn. And then the following soybean year where we didn't apply any fertilizer, would we track that over a six-year time frame? And um, one of the things that came out of that is I started to think a little bit about some of that sulfur contamination that's still in the fertilizer because I was seeing some things that were weird with the phosphorus side where we were looking like we were getting sulfur responses. So it's it's things like that where you take a question, uh, you develop a study, um, then you start to get that study and, and get further down the line where you start to see things that you didn't expect that lead into other projects. And that's you know kind of one of the things I like doing it because the nice thing about this, being how it's structured, is that we're fairly well connected with industry just based on how the the council is structured that um, you get some questions here and there and some things that they're interested in some things that you maybe never thought about looking at that you know tend to be something that spurs future studies where now I've got this current study where I'm looking at different sulfur sources where I've taken some of what I learned from there to kind of put towards this to try to look at sulfur cycling getting more of a basic understanding of what's happening in the soil that may not necessarily be of high interest to some of the growers, but it does factor into some of the things that they should be considering for some of their fertilizer purchases or their fertilizer application rates. So it's, I guess, one of the ones that I can think of just off the top of my head, just because of how that was structured and some of the things that it just, it's nice where you have this building where you start with one question and it, it leads into others. One of my favorites was the long-term phosphorus study uh, and the reason for it was several of us nutrient management specialists worked on it together. It was at six locations on key soils across the state of Minnesota, including five of the ROCs. The research data that it, we collected validated our phosphorus guidelines at a time when a lot of people were questioning them and said they were outdated and they were reducing crop yields. And it really showed that that was not the case, that they were valid and were still very much uh needed and and could be used and still maintain high yields. I will say one of my favorites so far um, is the drainage plot study, which of course, if any of you listening out there have seen me speak in the last year or so, you've absolutely heard me talk about Minnesota's coolest drainage plots. Um, because we're the coolest or the furthest north. Um, I can't claim coolest in all North America because of our friends in Manitoba, but I can't claim coolest in Minnesota. Um, and I will say, you know, the support from AFREC on that, this, this project will always hold a special place for me because that early support from AFREC, I mean, I was brand new as a researcher and they really kind of, they saw my vision. They were interested in seeing how, you know, this drainage system might affect fertilizer recommendations and um, really gave me that vote of early vote of confidence that, you know, I have been able to use and to leverage. And this has become a really major part of my entire research programming um, at University of Minnesota. And, um, and yeah, and it's that early support and that early vote of confidence from AFREC has really helped me leverage other opportunities, including longer term funding from the Fertilizer Institute to keep this research going. So that's just an example of how, you know, the, this council can really um, help boost and, and make a bigger impact long term. You know, Jack, your question is kind of interesting because, you know, what is your favorite project? This is kind of like saying, which one is your favorite child? You know, you love them all the same. But your favorites kind of change from day to day or hour to hour sometimes. Uh, 
And so this is kind of how I feel about my projects because I really have loved all of them. And the favorite uh, has to do with kind of the circumstance. For instance, we did a urea study uh, a number of years ago. And what I loved about that project, and it was my favorite, is that it was very timely. There were very specific questions about um, doing applications of urea in the fall and whether that was uh, an okay practice or not. And it happened right at the time when a lot of the industry was switching from anhydrous ammonia to using urea. And so having that information at that time was critical. I loved that project for that reason. And again, it was a, a project across the state with several collaborators. Um, if we are talking about um, looking at enhanced efficiency fertilizers and improving uh, management of nitrogen, what we do with nitrogen and the impact that that has in environmental quality, I would say that the drainage project that I had in Lamberton uh, through Africa funding. And again, that was actually a good example of a project that was started with an idea that nobody would, would have been interested in. Africa funded it, and then we were able to secure funds through uh, a national uh, agency to continue some of that work later. So between that project and the fact that I've been able to to look at how people are using that information through these conferences, I have been able to, to piece together basically the kind of impact that these, this information has, you know, how much of what we are producing is reducing nitrogen losses to the environment, and then figuring out how much farmers are using this information in their own farms so that they can reduce their nitrogen losses, and then be able to calculate what that is in, in, in a composite for the state. And it's huge, the impact that these dollars uh, from Africa have on the state and, and, and beyond, it's just uh, amazing. And then um, if I have to think about projects that um, are my favorite because of collaboration, that would be the long-term nitrogen study that I mentioned earlier, where everybody in this podcast and many others are part of. You know, I love the fact this, this is kind of like the, the, ALP, the, the ALP project that uh, Jeff and Dan talked about that uh, with phosphorus. This is kind of like that too in the sense that pretty much everyone in the nutrient management team is involved in one way or another. And I love that. What would happen if AFREC were to go away? Well, I think, you know, certainly you look at the amount of funding that we have and the amount of projects, you know, specific for me that I've had, you know, that's been crucial for a lot of the work that I do with evaluation of our fertilizer guidelines. So if you look at, you know, if we didn't have that funding, that would limit a lot of that work. And, you know, Fabian hit this nail on the head with a lot of this that, you know, while we have a lot of focus looking at economics, there's also some environmental pieces focusing on a lot of this. So we've been able to merge the two. And the other benefit that we've had with, I think, a lot of this, this, pro these program is really fostering collaborations among all of us doing work across the state, because we've got a large state here in Minnesota, and you've got researchers like Lindsay that are all the way up in the Northwest, that some of their conditions are different, but, you know, having some funding where we can foster collaborations on this where we all can even if we have disagreements set up a project that would answer some of the questions what we disagree on um, we could do that across the state and try to look at multiple areas and just trying to focus on one one area where all of us have most of our research that's been I think that the key for me really has been some of these collaborative projects 
that's allowed us to do more with with those and also on the outreach side because i mean certainly this podcast is um you know made possible by dollars through afric because of of some of what afric's funded for outreach and um you know it's been one of the, the key things in the last five or more so years where we've really expanded on getting the information out to growers and that's been one of our our core uh, things that we've been trying to work on is getting the information to those in the end that would use it. So, I mean, that's, I think the big thing right there is what it's allowed us to do, not only in expanding the research side, but also then expanding and getting that information out to the end user, which with throughout our extension program, we do talk to a lot of people, but we don't always get to everybody. And, um, you know, all the farmers, it's interesting, just some of the people that aren't necessarily coming to some of the extension events that will call or email that heard uh, some information regarding some of what we've been doing because it's either been published in a newspaper or somewhere that they read that we've been able to um, get that information out. It's, it's really been one of the, I think one of the, the big things that I think we would lose some out on if without having some of this funding we have right now. Yeah, I would, I would probably say that uh, I try not to think about it going away, um, but it would definitely reduce the number of applied soil fertility projects that we have, not only here at the Southern Research and Outreach Center, but across the state. And I think that'd be a bad thing. And and I agree with what Dan mentioned. It's spot on is that even though the AFREC program is, is a competitive grant program, it's actually worked to really help us work and be more collaborative as a group. And I think that's been the huge positive that I can see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think about if if AFREC were to go away is then we would start to see a lot more, I think you'd see a lot more commodity specific uh, projects happening, you know, because if, you know, you're growing growing corn, then the corn growers want to really focus on corn projects or soybeans want to focus on soybean projects. And that's not exclusive. It's not the only thing. But I think what AFREC does is it really allows us to work across cropping systems because hardly anyone is growing um, only one thing. You know, everything's in a rotation with something else. And we can really start to dig into those longer term questions, you know, as has been brought up. And um, and I just want to second to the the communication aspect, the support from Africa, especially on the communication side, um, has has been invaluable. Yeah, sometimes it's easier to think about um, what you have if you think about what it would look like if we didn't have that. Uh, and like I say, I have been in many different parts of the world. I actually did a sabbatical specifically focused on trying to understand some of these, these things in other countries. And I can tell you that we are extremely fortunate uh, in Minnesota and in other states in the U.S. where programs like these exist because this information, uh, if it's not in place, it's the wild west. In terms of nutrient management, it is the wild west. People will do whatever they think is best or whatever somebody that's trying to sell them a fertilizer say, says that is best. So without that research background, is anybody's guess what is the right amount of fertilizer, for instance, or what is the, the appropriate thing to do with fertilizers? And as we know very well too, is if you are not managing nutrients correctly, then you could have a huge environmental impact Recently, I was looking just quickly, and, and this is, you know, one little fraction of what we are doing, but um, in my little world of just looking at one project and kind of following through with uh, information from surveys of what farmers are doing with the information they provided out of that one project alone, 
I calculated that approximately about um, $130 million of revenue and income come to Minnesota because of a change in a small, a small change in practice that we found out that it works very well. Uh, based on that information and the fact that, you know, the percentage of farms, farmers that are saying, yes, I'm using that or I'll be using that. Uh, similarly, with, with a different project looking at environmental quality, um, you know, several tons of nitrogen that are lost to the atmosphere were reduced yearly because of the change that farmers are, are implementing based on some of the research that we are doing. And so it's, the, the impact is huge, whether you see it or not. I mean, you don't really see three... Three million, you know, three million tons of fertilizer. You might not see the impact directly, but it's a huge impact uh, that is happening down the stream. And so, uh, if this program were not to be in place, it would be um, extremely problematic in in many regards. And then the other part that I I, I know that I am biased here, but um, uh, we have, you look across the U.S., universities with uh, people doing research in nutrient. I would say the University of Minnesota is number one or pretty close to the top in terms of the number of people that are doing research, really good research. And most of that is happening in nutrient management because of uh, funding such as like Africa and, and local, local groups that are providing funding to do some of these really important work. One thing I'd like to add is, even though the our panel today is, consists of all nutrient management specialists, it's not just nutrient management people that have tapped into this resource. Um, we've collaborated with agronomy, people from agronomy plant genetics here at this University of Minnesota, but also our co collaborations have been with some of the industry people as well, and in, in not only just in the fertilizer industry, but just all of the crop production industry. And I think that's that's a key thing. And those members, as Lindsay mentioned earlier, sit on that council. And one of the other things, too, I want to hit on what Lindsay said is, you know, I don't want to downplay some of the support that we have from some of the other commodity groups, um, the corn growers, the soybean growers, the wheat growers, uh, sugar beet growers, potato growers, dry bean growers. I mean, they all have um, requests for proposals that will fund research projects. But the nice thing about Africa is it tends to integrate a lot of these things so we can look at things. And it also supports some of those things like some of what Lindsay's working on with wild rice that may not have support yet they purchase fertilizer so that's one of the things that you know having this that overarches everything else i think is is, is really key because it does help su supplement but also um bolster some of the work we're doing on that where you can look at some other things that we may not necessarily be able to do with with funding that's generously su supplied by some of these other funding sources and in addition then i was just thinking you know in addition to all the stuff that you mentioned the different cropping systems cover crops you know there is a lot of interest in in having green cover in the ground well if you have a cover crop what does that do to production what does that do to uh nutrient management um there are a lot of people that are interested in having these things but there are a lot of questions and there are no answers if we don't do the research and so that allows us to not only look at production crops that are cash crops, but also everything else that works in in concert with the cropping system. Tillage is another one, soil drainage, as we talked about. All of these things are integrated into what we do with nutrient management, and um, Africa helps us to, to fund research that looks at all of these variables along with the nutrients. 
Be sure to attend either the upcoming Nitrogen Conference on February 13th, 2024, or the Nutrient Management Conference on February 20th, 2024. For more information or to register, please visit z.umn.edu slash 2024 conferences. That's zlexebra.umn.edu slash 2024 conferences. That about does it for this episode of the Nutrient Management Podcast. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, or AFREC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening.